It's so great to be back with you, Kings. I have missed you. I've missed being at this church over the summer. Um, for those who don't know, I've had a 12-week sabbatical. I've been away really since the last week of May. I've popped up a couple of times and been part of worship, but I haven't been preaching here. And it's just a delight to be back. I'm so excited to be back with you and preaching around the church at various sites today. Um, I've, I've just been so blessed over the course of the summer. And I did want to start by saying a huge thank you, not just to the trustees who sign off on this and to to you as a church family, but also to all the staff members who've had to step in and pick up bits of my job while I've been away. Uh, it's just such a privilege to be able to get a summer to spend time reading and writing and spending time with my family. So I'm really, really grateful to everybody. Thank you so much. It has been a, you know, a really great summer for us. I was able to finish the manuscript for a book I've been working on for two years, um, which is a sort of a history apologetics book about the, the origins of the post-Christian West. I also saw the release of my first kids' book, um, or my second kids' book, I should say, but this, year, this year's kids' book called The Boy from the House of Bread. It was really exciting to see this come out and actually have it in my hand. That was in June. Uh, it's been really exciting seeing that get into people's hands as well. And in June, I also jumped out of a plane. I did a skydive, um, which was great fun and kind of crazy. I took the photo just before because the imagery is slightly clearer and crisper than when you're um, falling at 150 miles an hour out of a plane. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And then last Sunday also celebrated 18 years being married to Rachel. Uh, which was really special. And uh, we've had some really great time together as a family, but able to have a holiday. Took my son to New Day for the first time. He responded to the gospel when Joe Mack was preaching. It was just a, a really special summer. So thank you very much to, to Kings as a church and to, to all of those who've had to pick up things I haven't been around to do. If we could uh, grab our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter one, that would be great, Genesis chapter one. What we're gonna do over the next three weeks, I'm gonna preach the next three weeks, and I sort of wanted to come back with a bit of a bang um, and look at three subjects which have been increasingly debated in our culture over the last 20 odd years, the, the 21st century so far, shall we say, and try and engage with them biblically. That Several of these are th topics which we actually wanted to cover a year or two back, but lockdown kept getting in the way of it. So we ended up waiting to do it now in all in one go. And I wanted to look at three subjects in a row. So this week, we're going to spend some time considering a Christian approach to caring for God's creation. What people often call, I'm not sure it's always the best term, actually, but the environment. I think the word environment implies it's sort of the surroundings of me, whereas the word creation points to God. It says this is actually God's world. It's God's creation. But how do we think about food and fuel and animal welfare and waste and climate change and all that stuff? I'm going to try and touch on that today. Then next week, we're going to consider human sexuality and look at how do we think biblically about and respond lovingly and graciously to same-sex attraction and homosexuality and gay marriage and so on within our culture. And then on the third week, we're going to try and think clearly about sex and gender and think about how to love those who are transgendered and those who have intersex, and those who suffer with gender dysphoria, and how to think carefully about our cultural moment in light of those things, and how best to love and serve those people for whom they're very live, real issues, including plenty of us. So nothing too controversial in the next three weeks, but I just thought it'd be good to come in and, and in some ways treat them as separate subjects because they don't always flow into a series we're doing on Galatians or on Psalms or whatever it might be. But they're important for us to think biblically about the the questions that our culture is asking of us as Christians, and for those of us who aren't believers, to think about 
What actually would being a Christian mean when it comes to thinking about these topics? And today what we're going to do is start by looking at our attitudes and our actions towards God's creation. So let's begin at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read all of it, but most of it. We're actually going to focus on days 3, 5, and 6, because they're the bits where the earth is primarily in focus, as, as you'll see. But we're going to begin Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God. The other day I took an old sofa to the dump. Uh, the left-hand cushion had kind of completely gone and my daughter, who's got is quite a lot of special needs, doesn't really care about this kind of thing, but she was regularly sitting in the sofa cushion, which had disappeared into the bottom of the sofa. The springs had gone and she's sort of sitting in there like this, but it's her routine, so that's where she was sitting. And we eventually thought, we need to get rid of this thing. And so we took it in a 1.6 litre diesel car to drive, which is you know, a big car, to drive it to the dump uh, or the recycling centre, I should probably say. And as I looked out, the main bay of our local recycling centre was full of large, broken, bulky beds and springs and sofas and chairs and all that stuff. And then I went from there and I went and actually 
went for a little drive with my daughter and went to buy a coffee at Starbucks. And the coffee had paper straws, but had plastic cups. Just throw that out there. And then that evening I was home and I did some other things as well. But I remember I killed a few flies. We had a number of flies buzzing around our kitchen because it was a hot day. We'd open the back doors and there are a few flies buzzing in my kitchen that I just don't, don't. And I've got a bit of a technique for banging them like that, you know, the, the tricky ones to catch. But I also, in the same period, weirdly, went to considerable lengths to rescue a moth that had got stuck in the skylight. So I felt it was okay to just bang these flies this size, but the moth, I felt like, no, I need to try and help that get out of the house. It took me ages. My kids laughed at me because I was floundering around with a broom and a, you know, but trying to help him, eventually got him out of the house safely. I took my sons next door uh, after dinner to feed and water and collect eggs from the chickens that our neighbors have, but they were away. So went and got some eggs from them and looked after the, the animals. Um, we came back with our apple trees producing apples. So got a couple of apples and picked and we ate a couple of those as a family. And then I came back inside and after the kids had gone to bed, I cooked dinner, uh, which included frozen chorizo and parmesan. I cooked it on a gas hob and then I ate it and then I recycled the packaging. It had been a hot, sticky day, so I had a shower before I went to bed. And it was basically a completely normal day. There's no punchline to this story in a sense, right? It was a completely normal day in which I made dozens and dozens of choices about how to relate to God's creation. Animals, birds, insects, trees, fruit, flowers, meat, minerals, fuel, waste, and so on. Now, you leave days like that all the time. You may not make all the same decisions I do. You may not you may recycle some different things than I do. You may make different decisions about what animals you can kill or eat or whatever it is. But those choices that I made and that you make, even if the choices are different, reflect all sorts of assumptions about the way that human beings should relate to what God has made. And those assumptions are grounded in and shaped by the questions. They're grounded in our assumptions about what God has, wants us to do in his world. And they engage with and help us think about lots of the questions that people in our generation are asking. So in our generation, you have a wide spectrum that would not have been true for most of history. But at one end of the spectrum, you have people who think that human beings are basically a virus destroying the planet. So I certainly shouldn't drive a car, and let alone a diesel car. I shouldn't kill flies. I shouldn't eat meat. I shouldn't eat Parmesan cheese. I shouldn't have hot showers, perhaps. I shouldn't even have children, because children are bad for the planet, because we're going to all die, right? So you've got people at that end of the spectrum, probably not many, but there are some. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who say, well, the world's all going to be burned up anyway. What's the matter? And the world is all going to implode. The sun's going to grow. It's going to expand, swallow up the earth. Or even God's going to come back and make it all new. So we don't need to worry about how we look after it in the meantime. So it really doesn't matter. You re reducing your plastic usage or recycling your packaging or insulating your home as I did this year or getting solar panels or limiting how much you drive or caring about animal cruelty in commercial farming industry. Say, so what does it matter if people are cruel to animals in commercial farming? What's it matter if we ruin the ocean? It doesn't really matter because in the end, God's going to make it all right. And I'm, particularly my American friends, sometimes I find in dialogue with them thinking, wow, you're, we are in quite different places on this spectrum. Um, certainly, I'm not over here, but I'm not over there either. And you may find that same challenge emerging in the world we're in. Now, you'll probably be relieved to hear that I'm not going to spend the next 15 minutes telling you what you should and shouldn't eat, wear, buy, drive, conserve, recycle, etc. I don't think scripture gives me license to do that in the end. 
I think it gives me some, a lot of helpful guidance about how to think about those themes, but I don't think it gives me a list of things that I can say in that way. And actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says pretty emphatically, sometimes you'll get demons that will come in and teach you. You mustn't eat that. You mustn't do this. You mustn't. And actually, that's, that's not godly teaching. Everything created by God is good, and it's to be received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So I'm not going to say, here's a list of things we Christians must and must not do as relates to caring for creation. But scripture does give me license to, I believe, and a lot of ways of thinking about what the earth is, about what human beings are, and that, that those, and there are many teachings that would inform all the choices that I make about what to eat and where and buy and drive and conserve and recycle. Then the Bible says a lot about that. It says a lot about what the world is and what human beings are as its stewards, rulers on behalf of God. And I want to look at some of those from Genesis chapter 1 as we consider. So at one end, I might, have, I might be able to say to the people over here, no, everything created by God is good. It's all to be received with thanksgiving. But on the other end of the spectrum, I want to say to people over here, yeah, everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial which is something else Paul says. So I want to hold these truths in tension, but consider Genesis 1, and the particularly the key text in this chapter, I think, is Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man, or humanity, in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, some people take seize on that word dominion and conclude, well, that's it. There you go. In black and white, humans are the boss. We are the, the dominus. We are the lords. We are the masters of creation. And we can do whatever we want with this world. And for some, that almost means, yeah, we are like, you know, Saruman and his orcs in Lord of the Rings. It's all right, we'll just chop down every tree we want and every make industry. And we just can take hold of the natural world and use it for what we want and need. And that's really its main purpose. But that promise of dominion, which is right there in the text, human beings have been given dominion over creation. But that promise of dominion sits in between two very clear statements that we are made in God's image. Let us make humans in our image and let them have dominion over everything in creation. And then he says, and God made humans in his own image. That's the way the text works. And in other words, you have dominion, but your dominion is an expression of your identity as an image bearer of God. The reason why you and I are kings and rulers over the, and queens, if you like, and rulers over this world is that we are image bearers of God. We are rulers because we are representatives. Our rule is not just intended to make use of it for us. It's intended to govern the world like God does because we are image bearers of him. We're made to look like and represent him to the world and therefore our dominion over creation needs to be colored by and shaped by the reality that we're here to represent God's rule and not just to do things our own way. Our primary responsibility, if you like, is to manifest God's likeness in the world. And ruling over creation is one of the ways in which we do that. That you and I are rulers over creation because ultimately God is. And he's made us to look like him. That's the, that's the logic of the text, right? So we have an obligation to exercise the rule that we have over creation in keeping with the way that God does. 
That's the claim I'm making. I think it, I think it flows naturally out of this, this logic. You're in the image of God, you have dominion, you're in the image of God. You and I have an obligation to steward, to, to look after this world, to rule this world on God's behalf, but in keeping with the way that God himself interacts with his creation. So it's not just for us to plunder at will, it's for us to rule in line with the way God governs his creation. You're giving an analogy, right? Notice the difference between the way, you, the way you leave a hotel room and the way you leave a home when you've done a house swap, if you do house swaps. I, I love house swaps. Free holiday. It's just great. Like my house now feels quite boring. It doesn't feel like a getaway. But I go to your house, it's the same size, but it's somewhere else. And me and my kids suddenly feel like, oh, it's another world. We have a, a house swap. It's lovely. So we do that. That's kind of a good cheap holiday when you have kids. And, uh, but the way that you leave a house swap and the way you leave a hotel room even if you're quite a conscientious person in a hotel room, I suspect they're very different. How do you leave a hotel room? Do you leave it? I, I don't know what you do. I, I'm not there. Um, but do you leave it in a mess? Because ultimately you're the boss. Sometimes they even tell you to. Sometimes they say, just leave the towels in the shower. Think, well, that feels very messy, but okay. And so the towel is soaking wet something. And then you, you don't make the bed, I presume. You don't strip the bed, probably. Say someone else is going to do that. You might, depending on what you do, you know, I, oh, this is a horrible one. Sorry to put this on you. But I've, I've been in hotel rooms where I've finished shaving and I can see, can see the remnants of the, the, the hair that's come off my chin sitting in the sink. And I think I should really clean that up as I would at home. And I'm sorry to admit it, but occasionally I think, do you know, I don't I, no, I think somebody else is going to clean the room. And I walk out and I think, oh gosh, but that's what I do. And you may do the same thing. You may not take out, you probably don't take out the rubbish when you're in a hotel room. The way you interact with the towels and the, do you take the toiletries? You say, yeah, that, well, that, I, I paid for this. That's in the room fee. Have you ever seen that episode of Friends where Ross just says, oh, you can take the shampoo. Do you know what? You can't take the lamp, but you can take the light bulb. Now, I've never done anything at all like that. But sometimes people are quite like, oh, I'm going to take all the toiletries, all the weird creams. I don't even know what they do. But some people take them with them. That's the way you, you treat your hotel room. You think, this is for me. This is, I can do whatever I want with this thing and someone else will sort it out later. But when you do a house swap, you do not do that. Or I hope you don't. You do, do that in my house, we're going to have issues, right? That's not how you leave a house swap at all. What you do when you have a house swap is you exercise dominion over the household. There may, may, may be no living creatures there, but there probably are somewhere, even just in the garden, right? And you may end up, you exercise dominion in keeping with the way that the owner does. So I've been house swaps with friends who have loads of different creatures in their home. Dogs, tomatoes in the garden to, that need watering, pets that need looking after. I mean, we stayed in some people's houses, they had, a, they had ferrets, which I think are a weird pet, but sorry if you have ferrets. They had giant snails, they had a snake in one of the rooms, they all needed feeding different things. Um, they had a fish tank, which my sister, uh, sorry, my daughter memorably put her face right into the middle of the fish tank and blew bubbles in. We're like, ah, freak out. Because we realized that we've actually got an obligation to steward this household and this house and garden, it's a lovely house, but to look after it in keeping with the way that the owners do. It's a very different mentality. I didn't treat it as a hotel. If I had, I don't think we'd ever have been invited back and our friendship might have been at an end. I treated it like, no, I am here to, to the extent that I need to govern these creatures that are in this home, I need to do it in keeping with the way that the owners do. And ultimately, the question when it looks, when you apply that analogy onto this world is, well, so is the world ultimately a hotel for humanity or is it a house for God? 
And I put it to you that the world is a house for God. It's actually the temple of God. It's one day it will all be a, co a cosmic temple in which God fills all in all. And even now it's here to reflect and house and put on display the manifold beauties and glories of Almighty God. So this is not ultimately my hotel room. It's God's house. And I'm here to exercise dominion over it, sure. But in line with God's created good purposes for it. So how does God exercise his rule over creation in Genesis 1? That's going to be my question, isn't it? I've, I've got to exercise dominion in line with my status as an image bearer of God. So how does God govern creation? And in this chapter, God governs creation through five verbs. I'll just keep they each repeated several times. God created. And that word just gets used three times. And that's actually the one bit that I don't really do because I don't have the power to create something out of nothing. But then it says God said many times. God speaks. God's word brings order, separating light from darkness, sea from sky, water from land, and so on. And in the same way, our language, our speech, our intelligence brings order to the world. And we actually can use the language and the brains that God's given us to bring order and structure to God's created order for the flourishing of everybody. And it says God created, God said, God made. Right? God several times doesn't just create new things, he fashions things he's created into something new. He effectively forms and crafts existing matter into something more beautiful. And we do the same through technology. We are effectively forming things God has made into something that might be more useful. The fourth way in which God governs creation is it keeps saying God saw that it was good. I love that aspect. I think I, I love imaging God in that way, just seeing that creation is good. I love just being able to look at creation and say, God does this, I want to do this too as his image bearer. I want to look at creation and see, that's really good. Well done, God, when you thought of the strawberry. That was a cracker. What a wonderful idea a sunset is. Well done on Scotland and the Highlands. I mean, the mountains there. Lord, I, I want to acknowledge and honour that it is good that you've made that thing. I want to taste bacon and just say, Lord, thank you. That is good. You have made something good. And so on. it's just like an appreciation of what God has made. And then the final verb, God created, God said, God made, God saw that it was good, and God blessed. You notice that? Is it not just that God blessed humans. Did you notice that God blessed the living creatures on day five as well? The birds and the fish, as well as human beings. And he says, I want you to be fruitful and to multiply. Not just humans, creatures, living creatures. Be fruitful, fill the earth, have the run of the place. God desires abundance and favour and blessing in all of his creation. Now that alone leaves a lot of questions unanswered about practical decisions you, might, you and I have to make. Like it doesn't tell us whether we can use plastics or planes. Like I already said, I admitted, I went skydiving. I jumped out of a plane, right? So I personally have concluded I think that's okay. But that you've got to ask big questions about well, how much and how far and all those sorts of things. doesn't tell us whether we can use nuclear power, whether that's ultimately a good or a bad thing. It doesn't condemn SUVs or battery farming in the chicken industry. It doesn't tell us what our net zero target should be or if we should have one on how much tax we should pay for it. It doesn't tell us how to balance the different goods that there are in this world. Now, if you do that, that makes more wealth which might lift people out of poverty, but it also is worse for the climate of the planet we're in. 
If you do that, if you, you could have that policy that increases the number of lions but decreases the number of antelopes, all right? Or very basic things like that in biology. You think, well, whose abundance do I, am I looking for here? The prey or the predator? It doesn't tell me how to balance the fact that human beings, in order to flourish, need food and energy. But if we use too much food and energy, it has very damaging effects on lots of other creatures and the world. So it doesn't answer all of those questions, any of them actually. Generally speaking, I think it's a good principle to use that the one who has been given much should contribute much, and the one who's been given little should contribute little. So I would expect rich people and rich countries like ours to bear more of the cost than poor ones, and many of us find that difficult. But Scripture, even then, doesn't cash that out in policy terms at all. But what it does is to give us a framework to think about all of those things in faith and not in fear. Because a lot of the discourse around creation, or often it would be called the environment, is couched in very fearful terms. That's not how Christians should approach it at all. So I want to steward this world. I want to exercise dominion in faith for the blessing and abundance and fruitfulness of everything God has made, including human beings. So I need to ask questions like, does this practice reflect the image of the God who created the heavens and the earth and blessed its creatures and told them to be fruitful and fill the earth and said it was all good? Or does this practice imply that actually God's, that bit of God's creation isn't good? Or that no, that part of creation can't be fruitful because I need it. Does this practice reflect God's commission to humanity? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over fish, birds, living things? Or does it imply that human beings are actually a problem with creation or a curse on it rather than a blessing? If any view goes there, it's completely not Christian. There's no way you can read scripture and say human beings are a curse on the planet. No, we're not. We're there for the flourishing of the whole. But we have to exercise that dominion wisely. Does this practice treat creation as a hotel for humanity or as a house for God? Does this practice reflect the attitude of Jesus to his creation? Noticing every hungry bird, every lost sheep, every sparrow that falls to the ground, every beautiful flower that might be an image for somebody, every seed even the smallest one, and yet at the same time, as Jesus does, to count human beings as far more valuable than sparrows, or the pigs that get drowned in order to save a demonized man, or the fish of the sea that Jesus pulls out in order to pay tax. And does this practice reflect the Christian vision of the future in which not just our physical bodies or our souls, but the whole of creation will have the curse lifted and be resurrected into new, glorious, eternal, indestructible life? Does it reflect Christian hope when I do this? Does it act as if this creation is going to be resurrected too and not just me? The earth, friends, is the Lord's and everything in it. There is nothing in creation that doesn't highlight the glory of God in its own unique way. Jesus died to reconcile to himself all things and to unite all things in him under one head, even Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth will be reconciled and brought peacefully under the reign of Jesus Christ. Not just human beings, not just angels and demons, but every created thing. The voice from the throne in Revelation 21. We start at the beginning of the Bible and we end at the end. The voice from the throne says, behold, I am now renewing or making new all things. There is nothing beyond the scope of God's redemptive power. There's nothing he's created that he doesn't care about and it is our obligation and our joy to live as his image bearers and steward the dominion he has given us to the glory of God. Amen. There is a a handout which you might want to take actually at the end of this meeting that 
Some will be available that might be helpful for you to take a look at. If you've got questions about how to take this further, what things do you need to think about? What issues are there? A little cheat sheet, really, which uh, a number of church members put together. I think it can be helpful. You just want to grab one on your way out. If you've got practical questions about some of this stuff, and it'll give you some resources to think about as well. But for the, in the meantime, let's pray and just ask God to help us. Lord, we come to you as the creator of heaven, the heavens and the earth. We admire and wonder at what you've made and we wonder more at you for having made it and we pray that you would cause us to exercise, help us to exercise dominion over the world in a way that is in keeping with our status as your image bearers and this world as your house, not our hotel. I pray you would lead us wisely. I pray you would help us graciously and kindly think these things through and live accordingly and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.